Welcome to your commercial-free, uninterrupted investment show, sponsored by the SEC-registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brent Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego, providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts, Brent and Chase Wilsey. Well, hello and welcome to Smart Investing Show. I'm Brent Wilsey and with me is Chase Wilsey here every Saturday talking about uh, your money, the economy, investing, all these important things to help you grow your net worth. With that, let's get started. Good morning, Chase. How you doing this morning? Hey there, doing well. <laughs> well, good. We got a lot to talk about. Uh, crazy week this past week in the, uh, the market here. Yeah, and I, I think you're still, I said it last week, I think you're still in for, uh, well, actually, I said I think May's going to be a rough month, and you correct me that we're still in April, and I was like, <laughs> yeah, I guess you're right, and the craziness has continued, uh, and I, I just, I don't think it's going anywhere. I, I don't think there's anything that's going to necessarily turn things around here in the short term. We know that historically the summer times are difficult months in terms of volatility. I, I just got to say, be ready for it. Yeah, and, and the uh, S&P 500 is in correction territory. I believe the NASDAQ's in bear territory down more it's than 20%. It's down 22% year-to-date. Year I'm guessing, gosh, I, I, I'm guessing from its high close to 25% is what it's down. Yeah, it, it, yeah, from its high, probably more than that. We're talking year-to-date. So, uh, And what's actually happened is the big tech companies are starting to struggle. Uh, I'm quite excited to see many big tech companies start to, str to struggle. Uh, I have been hesitant on the group the past few years as the valuations just did not fit into a value investor strategy. Uh, many people confuse my dislikes for stocks as dislikes for businesses. In fact, I do believe many of these companies are run tremendously with sound balance sheets, good margins and good products it has just been the high valuations that just keep me away from it and companies can talk about we include the alphabet google. yeah alphabet so i'm still not used to that but i know <laughs> google. I google, yeah, facebook <laughs> i know <laughs> but uh, alphabet did have a i'm gonna call it a pretty bad earnings miss this past week and i was curious where the valuations now stood for the stock the company had a bad quarter it's earnings per share of 24 dollars and 62 cents Missed the estimate of $25.91. Revenue of $68.01 billion. Missed the estimate of $68.11 billion. And also, to YouTube, which has been a big, big kind of growth story, and, and I'm going to call it a darling for the stock. Their advertising revenue of $6.87 billion. Missed the estimate of $7.51 billion. That's a pretty big miss there. The stock now trades at a forward PE of around 17.2 times next year's earnings. Again, we saw it at 16.6, so it's still a little bit overvalued, but you know, you're know you starting to see valuations that are getting attractive for some of these big tech companies. And as I said, you know, this is still a little bit high, but I wouldn't be surprised to start finding value in some of these big tech companies. The market is likely to remain volatile, as I said. And, and I'm shocked by the YouTube number. I mean, that's what, a decline of uh, what, uh, 800 million, I guess, is, is about Not a decline, that was the estimate. Oh, the estimate. Okay, yeah. so they missed the estimate by so 800 million. There's still growth in the still company. Still growing it, but but. Um, but when you when you trade at high valuations, you gotta you gotta keep growing. You, yeah. Even if you're going at a few percent, the market doesn't like that if you trade at over 20 times earnings, unless you're Apple. But right. uh, <laughs> well, and actually, it was not a decline as you said. It was missing the estimate. But who actually did have a decline? Uh, the first loss in what six or seven years was Amazon. Yeah, uh, first losing quarter. I think it's seven years. I believe I saw. And, and there was some 
I'm gonna call it funny business with the numbers. Yeah. They didn't have an actual right. major loss. It was because of the Ruby and stake. Oh yeah. Well, so and they had a huge. Remember, they had a record profit last quarter <laughs> because they had a huge markup on their Rivian investment. And this quarter, they had a huge loss. I think Rivian's down like seventy percent year to date. So they had to mark that down. So that's what made their earnings look quite disastrous. Right. They were still weren't great, but right. the Rivian stake made made things look really bad. Yeah, and the accounting is called mark to market. You got to mark it too. So if things go up, it's pretty good. Now sometimes it used to be. Uh, what was it, the cost or mark to market? There was something there. So you only got hit. You never got the benefit. It seems now they got the benefit, but then you also have to take the downside. And uh, Rivian, I, I, gosh, I thought, I think it was high at 133. I think I saw it like in the 30s uh, this past week. I'm not sure where, where it is now. But just uh, again, that the hype of the market is being pulled out in these hype companies. We can also maybe somebody call them about Teladoc, another one. I think one day they're down 50%. They're down, what, 70, 80% from their, their high. Uh, the realities are starting to come back into investing, which I'm glad to see. Uh, I'm glad to see you don't hear or see anything more about meme stocks yeah. that is in Reddit and all that seems to be, oh, and they thought, oh, see, we're being the big guys. Like, no, not gonna last, didn't last. Yeah. Didn't last. And I, I did want to mention one thing on big tech. We're not supposed to talk about it today. It's not on our list. But I, I just got to bring sure. it up because it bothers me with Apple. It, it's so funny. I mean, they were down a little bit yesterday. But at right. first, they were up after the earnings report. And they beat on sales. They beat on earnings. But it, it's just so funny how much people love Apple stock. The, the, the terminology is like, oh, Apple's revenue pops 9%. It's like, <laughs> if you talk about, let's, I'm just going to pull out AT&T. AT&T, oh, sales growth of 9%. Uh, that's okay. Right. Apple pop? What is that? Because <laughs> Apple's a what? 7%? Uh, 9%. 9%. So, so they had the same growth. I don't know if AT&T was up 9%. I'm, okay. I'm just kind of comparing like Compare, yeah. if, if it was an AT&T type like business. And AT&T is looking for like mid to high single digit growth right. on the sales. Well, you look at Apple, they're, they're looking at growing 8% this year on sales, 5% next year, and 4% the following year. Right. That's about what AT&T is looking at. But Apple trades it over 25 times next year's <laughs> earnings. It's just, I, I'm sorry. It's just, you got to be careful. And if Apple stumbles a little bit, I, I think you can see that stock fall. And they make up about 7% of the S&P 500. That's going to bring down the index even more. And, and again, you make a good point that these are growth companies. And again, we, we, we don't hate the companies. We just don't like what people are paying for them because we've seen this story play out before many, many times. And we actually show people over long term what growth does versus value. Value does outperform growth longer term. So that's what we are concerned that people are going to lose a lot of money because they fall in love with these. Oh, and I, I love Apple. And I love my Apple phone. I mean, it works great. I have an iPad, works great. Um, you know, so I like the products, but I don't like paying, what did you say? The, the 25 times. 25 times. The, the average over the last 100 years is uh, what, 14 to 17? You know, if you have that high growth, sure, you know, you can, you're going to have a higher valuation, but that growth appears to be slowing down. And what are they going to do for an encore? And no company stays at the top of the mountain forever. And I think their time may have come. Uh, I think it probably came about two years ago, but they've, they've done a great job coming out with new things and keeping yeah. the stock high, but it's not going to last forever. Yeah. And as you said, if they were growing so at like 15, 20%. Yeah, a company like that can trade at 30 times earnings. It's not something we invest in because that's that growth philosophy. Right. But I understand if a company is growing consistent, consistently at 15, 20 times each year, well, that makes sense to kind of have a higher multiple than the, the historical average. But 
five percent growth that that doesn't warrant a higher multiple right right and and what will happen uh, eventually the growth investors will start leaving and unfortunately the little guy is going to be left holding the bag well yeah but i love apple what's going on why, why is it not not going up and it's it's because of things they just don't understand and again it doesn't happen in, in two or three weeks this has been going on for years and it appears to be we're at the end of the the the, the boom cycle for apple uh, and the growth cycle for Apple, where it can you know, justify or have those high valuations. And, and the other thing we talk about too is that maybe it doesn't have a drop down 100, but maybe for the next five years, it trades between, we'll call it you know, 140 to 170. And you make no money on Apple for the next five years on a stock. We would better been better off going to buy some food company and you know, make 10% uh, per year on that. So uh, be that, careful. Be careful, good, 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 good way to wrap that up. Uh, let's talk about the GD report because I know a lot of people are going to kind of uh, misread this here. So let's talk about it. While the headline GDP number of a minus 1.4% missed the estimate of 1% growth, the underlying numbers still don't worry me about the start of a recession. If you look at the details, you'll see net exports subtracted 3.2% from the headline number. I, I believe now a lot of this uh, stems from supply chain constraints and timing in which these goods were received. Remember remember all those cargo ships waiting off the coast? We talked about that. We said it's not going to go on forever. Well, I don't believe this will weigh as heavily on Q2. Supply chain constraints also brought down inventories as business struggled to rebuild them. And, and this is so important because it's not like businesses didn't want to rebuild inventories, they just necessarily <laughs> couldn't. <Right>. So <laughs> if they can get things flowing, and that won't cost GDP. Uh, looking here too, the reason I'm not worried about this whole report is the demand side of the equation, as I said. It still remains strong as the consumer remains healthy. In fact, consumer spending, which accounts for two-thirds of the report, well, that was actually up 2.7%. And don't get me wrong, that's not a, wow, it's huge. Right. It's still a healthy number. And you might be saying, oh, well, you know, that, that doesn't incorporate inflation. Nope. This report does actually adjust for inflation. And the unadjusted number would have shown a gain in consumer spending of 9.9%. So I've seen that before. People are like, oh, no, you're not. You're not looking at inflation. No, this is real GDP, yeah. which does factor in that inflation number. Now, one thing that was interesting is the consumer preference continued to see a shift towards services as it had an outsized gain of 4.3% in the quarter. Private investment also remained strong as it added 1.3% to the headline number as businesses continued to invest on items like capital equipment and overall investment grew at a 9.2% annual rate. I'm still sticking with my forecast of recession at the end of 2023. I don't think we're going to see a negative report next quarter, which again, all a recession means is two consecutive quarters of declining GDP. I I, I don't see that happening because I still think the consumer is going to be okay. And, and don't get me wrong, this economy, it's not on fire, right. but there's <clears throat> still enough liquidity to get us through things. I don't see business investment slowing down because they're investing heavily, I think, in technology and productivity tools so that they can combat the inflation, they can combat the cost. So I think business investment is still going to be quite high as well. And, and, and there's a lot of money out there. We, we always talk about the $21 trillion in the economy. Businesses have a lot of money on their balance sheets. Consumers still have a lot of money in their bank accounts. Now, not everyone. I know you can find somebody like, oh, they're really struggling. That's going to happen. But there's, what, 360 million people in the country on an average Things look okay, and that's why we say, yeah, there could be a slowdown in the economy, which we're seeing. It's not going to be a bad recession, I don't believe, at this point, 2023, but we could have that in 2023. We, we, will, we always kind of update things, 
But when you look at the, and you really, this is why I hate people that read the headlines. Well, I saw this in the headline. You've got to read the detail, not just read it, but use your critical thinking to understand, well, what's really going on here? So this is why we're saying like, yeah. And you hear people, oh, it's terrible. The GDP is negative. Oh, economy is doing terrible. Well, no, read the numbers underneath there to find out why it happened. And we talk about too, there could be an inventory rebuild next quarter, which could actually increase. You know. And I'm kind of thinking right now, I'm, I'm wondering too, the <clears throat> next quarter right, with China and their issues right now going on there, Yeah, I wonder if that's actually going to be a benefit to ex, uh, the net exports because if they're not producing as much as they were, we can't import as much from China if things are slowing down there severely. And we receive more than we send to China. Right. So if that <clears throat> kind of tampers down that trade a little bit, I'm not going to say that's a healthy number, but it would kind of reverse things as we saw a huge negative impact on net exports this quarter. Well, you kind of might get a little <laughs> bit of a, again, a counting trick, so to speak, with, with net exports this next quarter if there are issues with China continue. You know, I, I would never run for president, but I know President uh, Trump, when he ran, his thing was make America great again. I think I want to run for president and say, make America work again. Because <laughs> if we were to work, we could get through this, but you got people that just don't want to work very hard. I mean, it's just like, let's come together as a country and work together and, and forget these these exports. I mean, we could do it ourselves, but people just, they want to stay home and, I don't know, play video games. I don't know what the hell's going on. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to disagree. You can't produce everything. There's no, still, still got to be some trick. Right. But, but we, we could do a lot better. <laughs> we do a lot better. A lot better. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. And, and we, we are seeing that. We're seeing, again, the, the big thing with semiconductors. Uh, I know that uh, Intel, they're building a lot of fab fabrication right. centers right now for the United States and Europe, and they actually said they want half of the semiconductor production to come from the U.S. and Europe uh, and over the next several years. So, right. I mean, we, we're seeing more of a shift towards what I'm going to call localization rather than globalization, where you kind of produce where you sell. Right. Well, well, here's something that unfortunately kind of talks about the problem, and that's a college, college student starting salary. Uh, when I saw this, I just could not believe my eyes. Many college students in the class of 2022 are out of touch with reality when it comes to expectations for a starting salary. According to a recent survey, on average, these students are expecting to earn $103,880 in their first job. <laughs> yeah, it's... A little bit off. There's the actual estimate for what employers are willing to pay is over a little over fifty thousand, but nowhere near the ridiculous expectations. I mean, some fields are expected to produce higher salaries. Computer sciences now is actually the top field. It seemed like engineering was the top place to be for years, uh, but computer sciences does top the list with a five point two percent growth over last year to a starting salary of about seventy five thousand nine hundred, and engineering does come in at seventy three thousand nine hundred. Pulling up the bottom of the list here is the humanities degree with the starting expected salary of 50700 And it was interesting in the report, that was down like 14% compared to the prior year. I'm like, what did humanities do? To well, <laughs> That's such a major decline. And I, I, I know usually people in humanities don't really go, unless they go into teaching, <clears throat> I, I, I think they generally go into other fields where they can get a job maybe in business or, or something else. So, But uh, it, it is just kind of shows that the, the silly expectations people have and why, well, I don't have to work, I can just go to a job and, and just get $100,000 a year if I go to college. And, and somebody actually on our, our social media commented that, well, if they went to, to a trade school for welding or plumbing or something else, uh, he said they could do that. But I, I actually remember, I think it's about oh, three, four months ago, my, my segment on KSI, I actually pulled out the average for higher jobs. And even a plumber with experience 
I mean, they're still, I think, around 75,000. So yeah. you're not gonna go to a trade school and come out and get 100,000. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a big number to get. But again, it shows the unrealistic expectations, which are just, in this country, not, not, not gonna happen. Yeah, and, and there's gonna be, again, some areas it can. Like, right. it, it's just crazy to me that it's 103,000 across the entire country. Country. Like, I would maybe get it if you were <clears throat> in San Diego and California. I wouldn't say San Diego. I would say maybe New York City. Uh, LA. Maybe San Francisco. I, I, I don't. Th- I think San Francisco. I don't think even LA. I mean, and again, it depends on. I, I'm not saying that it's justified, but I, I'm just saying I would understand more if the, the students were <laughs> in those places because right. everything. You know, I need a hundred thousand dollars to afford one point five million dollar home. Like I need that. You know, <laughs> yeah. like I, I'm just saying. I think the expectation is more justified. It just blew my mind that that's across the country. Like if you're in, you know, Texas or you're in right. Oklahoma. You, you don't need a starting salary of $104,000, but I can see kind of where people are saying that in California and New York, uh, but uh, it, it still obviously is, is not what is going to happen. Yeah, and, and what you need and what you want is not always what you're going to get. Yeah. They like a reality. So, but I just saw was, uh, when I, and so far off, not even off by 10%, off by nearly 50%. So These, these kids are clearly not doing internships. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, well, well, let's lastly, before we, we take the calls, and by the way, the phone numbers are, wait a minute, I don't have the uh, phone number here. Uh, where's, here it is. I hope this is the right number. 833-288-0973. That number again, 833 833- Two eight eight zero nine seven three. Phone lines are open. That'll get you through for your unbiased, no strings attached, fundamental opinion about what you want to talk about. Before we go to the calls, you want to talk about uh, the the situation with Twitter and Elon Musk, and uh, will this go through? What's going on? I mean, it's, it's been big stories. Uh, I've been in the news talking about it. You've been in the news talking about it. Uh, just want to kind of bring it up because the question is now. Is this really going to go through? And one one question I got from somebody like, "Wow, this is a great time to to buy Twitter because when Elon Musk takes it over, the stock's going to go crazy." Uh, I told the person, "I said no, it's uh, it's going to take it private. So it's going to take it private at fifty four twenty. That's going to be the most gain you miss if it goes through." Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, that's a big thing. I mean, the fifty four twenty, as you said, that, that's the absolute top there. I I don't see. So what could happen sometimes is competing offers to raise the stock. Yep. I, I don't obviously I don't see, see that, that happening. Uh, so that's the absolute upside there. And I mean, I think, I mean, I said this on Fox 5 this past week. I, I, said, I think this is a great offer for Twitter. I think the stock, the company, I, mm-hmm. I think it, there's no upside. I think it was a bad stock. I mean, 54.20 was a 38% premium to, uh, gosh, where they were trading uh, April 1st, kind of before everything started to happen with it. So I think it's a more than fair deal. I think it... it it will likely go through. I, I don't see many things that could take it down, but uh, I I still wouldn't kind of do that. There's a thing that you can do called like arbitrage, right. where you buy it. I think it's still about <coughs> 13 to 15 percent away from the current price here, but you have to always look at the downside. And if the deal doesn't go through, the stock I think goes down 40 percent. Right, right. And and I know that uh, <clears throat> you know Twitter's now said yes, we want it, so that that's that's good. We want this deal to happen. The thing that could destroy it. Elon Musk can still change his mind, say, eh, you know, I, I decided I want to do it. I mean, Tesla stock, because a lot of it's based on that. If Tesla stock were to fall to a certain level, I don't know what that level is, he may be in trouble. And I think he's sold another $8 billion. Or, yeah. yeah. So he he's raising the cash. But if we were to see a uh, Tesla go the route of a Amazon, for whatever reason, again, they, they had a great quarter, by the way, Tesla had a great quarter, but still, it is still very, very pricey. And maybe start investors start saying, wait a minute, if he's going to spend so much time on Twitter, 
could that hurt Tesla's earnings going forward? I want to get out now before it drops more. That could be a problem. He might say, no, change my mind. Not going to buy Twitter. Yeah, I, I do believe he has a $1 billion walk-away fee. Or does he, I was wondering yeah. what that fee was. Um, yeah. But uh, actually, that's a lot less than $44 billion. So. Yeah, a lot less, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and also, too, it, it, he could very easily lose that much in his stock uh, because he has a, a big portion of that stock. So the $1 billion, he might weigh it saying, okay, my stock drops X percent. I'm going to lose $10 billion. Or I can walk away from this deal and only lose a billion. And and I like what he's doing. He wants to ha have open, you know, for people. Uh, I thought it was kind of funny. I don't want to get too too much uh, on this, but uh, how some people, well, we're gonna quit. I think he says, fine, go ahead and quit. We'll find somebody else. I, so. And I I really don't think he's doing it to make money. I, I've said this. I, I think he's just doing it because he wants to. And uh, you know, Raul from Fox Five, he's like, <laughs> what do you say? He said, uh, it's like, well, is that a wise financial decision? That's like a fifth of his money. I said. It's a little bit different. If you have like a million dollars and you put a fifth of your money into something, that's a little crazy. But Elon Musk has $250 billion. So, you know, you take away $44 billion, you still have change his lifestyle. for $200 billion. <laughs> yeah, it's so it's, it's a little bit different. It's not a wise thing for <clears throat> the average person to put a fifth right. of something in there. But when you have an absolute dollar of that type, yeah, you, you can kind of do yeah. some things because you could lose everything in Twitter. And again, you're still worth over two hundred billion dollars. All else yeah. equal. I mean, that that's it's a completely different thing. So I don't think he's doing it to make money. I think it's going to be very interesting to see what he does with the company. Uh, I, I did kind of say one thing. I, I wonder about is how are things going to go down in Europe? Oh because yeah, because Europe is being quite. I'm going to say crazy. The UK in particular, they want these social media companies to police, you know, illegal content. Great, get that. Right. But they also want police content that is both legal and harmful. Well, that's a very vague statement. Yeah, what does that mean like exactly? Harmful, yeah. You know, that's just too open-ended to kind of create, you know, kind of the, the fact checkers and things like that, that that maybe aren't necessarily right. And the penalties are up to 10% of global sales or jail time for the executives. So I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if Elon Musk is like, yeah, you know what? I think we're going to walk away from Europe here. Yeah, so, we don't need to be there. Yeah, yeah. I, it's going to be very interesting to see. I, I think it's going to be a lot different two years from now at, at Twitter. Yep. Well well said. All right. So let's go to the phones. 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. Let's go down to Bonita and speak with Milt. Milt, you're in the Smart Investor with Brent Chase. How can we help you? Good morning, guys. Great to talk with you this morning. I've been wanting to call in on a stock uh, with the ticker symbol M-A-I-N, Maine. Okay. It's a real estate investment trust. And do you hold that or looking to buy it? Very, very small position, but looking to buy some more. Okay, well, let's take a look at the Main Street Capital. Their symbol, very easy to remember, Main, M-A-I-N. They are in the asset management industry. Uh, only 2% float there on the short side. Institutional ownership, very low, 18.3. I, I can't remember the last time I've seen one that low, unless it's a very small market cap, which uh, we'll, we'll see pretty soon here. Uh, we do see a nice P-E ratio of 8.4 versus 10.8. Price of sales, 6.6 .6 versus 2.3. That's not good. You do want the valuation ratios lower. Uh, price to book value, 1.6 versus 10.3 versus the industry. That is good. And a peg ratio, very good, 1.8 versus 5.5. Now, they have grown their earnings at a nice pace of 21.5% over the past year. Almost as good as the industry growth at 24.3. Sales for um, Main Street Capital, well, sales were up 41%, well above the industry at 16.4. They do pay a nice dividend yield of 6.5%. 
only use 52% of their earnings to pay that out. That's pretty darn good. And then we do see uh, on the balance sheet, uh, current ratio 0.3 versus 3.1. That shows me non-liquidity. That could be a problem for them paying the bills going forward. And debt equity is one. That's the same as the industry. Net profit margin, worsening number here. Not because it's the bad, but because it's too high. 78.5% versus 21.9. How can they make 78 cents on every dollar they bring out? They may have had some gain on assets or something in the past. So you want to kind of compare that. Return on equity looking good, 18.5 versus 14.4. And then return on capital is a 10.9 versus the negative 39.3. Jace, what do you got going forward? Yeah, this is uh, interesting what this company does here, but they're actually an investment firm uh, that actually engages in customized debt and equity financing to kind of lower middle market companies and debt capital to middle market companies. Uh, investment portfolio is for the typically made to support management buyouts, recapitalizations, growth financing, refinancing, and acquisitions of companies. So it almost seems like they're, they're more of a, a lender, essentially, and a, a financial company rather than like a, a real estate investment trust there, as you, you mentioned there, Milt. But uh, looking at the numbers, the, the current price here for Main Street Capital, that's $40.03. 52-week high here, $47.13 and the low, $37.91. Year to date, down about 8.4%. That's not too bad of a decline compared to the market, which is down a little over 13%. Decent sized business here at about $2.9 billion. It's not a tiny company, it's not a large company. It's kind of middle of the road, I would say. Going forward, though, to December 2023, I do see we have estimated earnings per share of $2.98. That would give us a target sell price of $49.47. So I don't believe that's quite at our, our 30% margin of safety, but it's right around there. Uh, interesting business. I'd have to spend more time looking at exactly kind of their, their customers, essentially, what they're doing, but uh, also, too, how it impacts the balance sheet, because I think the, the balance sheet looked a little wonky, but obviously, if they have debt, yeah. it could be a little different. And, and, Mil, and I kind of agree with Chase there. I, I think before you jump more in this company, understand what their product is. It's not like they're selling you know, chicken or, or insurance on cars. I mean, it's kind of complicated, and Chase gave a, a brief summary of what it is, <clears throat> but you really don't understand that because is that gonna do well in a slowing economy? Is it gonna do poorly during a slow economy? What are the negatives there? So I would really say spend some time before you jump into it uh, to understand what, the, what they're actually doing because it, it could go the wrong way against you, and it sounds like if the stock were to go to maybe 38, 39, probably be a buy based on the, on those numbers. Yeah. So I, th I think it might be worth a re research, but before you buy any more, I'd really want to have you understand more about the business. Alrighty. Okay, great. I appreciate your information. You're always you're always right on the money. Oh, I like that. I like that. <laughs> Thank so, you. So to speak. Okay. Great. Okay, guys. Keep keep up the good work. Everybody loves your show. Thank you, Mel. We appreciate that. Bye bye. You take care and bye bye now. All right. That does open the phone line eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three. Let's go out to San Diego and speak with Ken. Ken, you're on the Smart Investor with Brent Chase. How can we help you? Hi, guys. Thanks for taking my call. Appreciate it. I've just recently discovered your uh, show, and I'm walking the dog as I listen to your uh, live broadcast here. Well, cool. But, we'll, um, we'll make the dog a smart investor, too. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I'm hoping to get my advice from later on. <laughs> I had um, just there's two particular stocks I'd been looking at, one long-term and one short-term, and they were Verizon and Philip Morris because of the environment we're in uh verizon's been beat up they were trading in a narrow range for a long time but they've been beat up lately 
Mm -hmm. I just wanted to see what you guys thought. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you called about Verizon. I've not looked at this company in a while, so I'm kind of excited myself to kind of take a peek at it. So let's take a look at Verizon Communications. Their symbol is VZ. They are in the industry of telecom communications, only you know 1% short on that, so that's not a problem. Uh, surprise, I thought the institutional ownership would be higher. It's only 65.5, so means about, uh, what, uh, 35 is, is uh, about uh, individual investors. Uh, uh, P ratio, pretty good, 9 versus 15.9. That's a good start. Price to sales, 1.4, same as the industry. No price to tangible book value because they have a lot of intangible assets, but that's the norm for this industry uh, of the telecom services. Price to cash flow is 5.3, slightly above the industry at 4.7 and a nice peg ratio of 2.3 versus 6.8. Now, over the past year, they've grown their earnings at 12.5%, while the industry has seen a decline of 19.9, so that's a big positive for Verizon. Uh, the sales also looking good over the last year of 3.7, not a high number, but the industry did experience a decline of 2.7%. Uh, the five-year earnings per share growth estimate from the analyst, 3.7 for Verizon. The industry is at 8.5. They do pay a nice dividend, 5.5%, and use 50% of the earnings to pay that out. Look at the balance sheet, current ratio, not as good as I would like it to, to, to be there. It's 0.8 versus 0.9, and their debt to equity is very high, 2.2 versus 1.9. Now the positive side is that used to be much higher, but it still does not make me feel comfortable, especially with a lot of intangible assets, the low current ratio. Uh, and again, Verizon's a great big company, but they could have problems down the road if things slow down. Uh, we do see the net profit margin, 15.9 versus nine. Return to equity, very good, 25.6 versus 13.9. Chase, what do you got? Yeah, so current price here for Verizon, well, that's $46.30, 52-week high, $59.85, and, and, and wow, pretty much right at the 52-week low. I wonder if they hit that yesterday, $46.17. Year-to-date, down about 9%. Uh, obviously, we know Verizon, huge company, market cap, about $194 billion. If we go forward to December 2023, though, I see estimated earnings per share of $5.58. would give us a target sell price of $92.63. I mean, these companies right now... Valuations are extremely attractive, I think, in the, the telecommunication mm -hmm. space. I, I like that aspect of it. Uh, you're not getting, again, booming growth. You're, you're getting about year-over-year -year growth rates here of about 3 to 5%, it appears, for Verizon. But trading at eight times earnings, that, that, that seems pretty pretty reasonable to me right. as an attractive investment. My only concern is that, that high debt to equity. Yeah, and that's why I kind of like the company, and I, I actually use Verizon myself. I've been with them since 1990, I think it was, when we first had cell phones. Um, and the, the competition does kind of worry me a little bit on, on this as well, because it's it's really become, I don't say commoditized, but it's just really very difficult. You've got that weak balance sheet. I want to say, yes, this is a good buy, but I would be worried about the balance sheet if I if I held this company. So um, that's where we stand on it, Ken. I, I'd be a little bit careful of it. Okay, that's, that's good to know because they, as I said, they, I knew they had high debt. I just didn't know how that played in the future earnings. It, I guess you guys displayed a, a, a mixed bag of good and bad. So yep. just, yep. I yeah. guess yours you, would be on neutral. But what about Philip Morris? That's more of a, of a cash cow type thing, I think. Well, we got a lot of holders behind you, so so we can't do Philip Morris. Okay. But one thing I was going to say, too, on Verizon is what you may want to do is read or listen to the conference call on the quarterly earnings to see what they're saying about the debt. Are they addressing it? Also, to look at the balance sheet, is the debt, 
is the debt increasing or decreasing? What is their plan? Because if they're decreasing that debt, I'd feel a little bit better. If it's rising, eh, I'd probably would stay away from it. They've had to build out a lot for 5G as well. So it, yeah. it, it could have had a heavy investment cycle already, and that could be kind of tapering off here, which could leave room to pay off debt. So uh, again, not saying it's a, a A-OK, but could be some potential there, I'd say. Yeah. All righty. Okay. Well, thanks, guys. Have a great weekend. I appreciate okay. your time. Okay. I hope, hope the dog's smarter now. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. All righty. Have a, have a good one, Ken. Bye-bye. All right. That does open the phone line, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. Let's go out to Oceanside and speak with Don. Don, you're in the Smart Vegetable, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Yes. Hi. Um, you opened the program talking about Apple and uh, the issues that uh, that you guys have seen for the long term. Um, I own a fair amount of Apple. I don't know, can't remember exactly how many shares, but um, what do people do like me who want to get out of it, but are going to get hit with capital huge capital gain gains um, taxes if they if they just dump it. Uh, I mean, that, that's a great question. And sometimes you have to, unfortunately, pay the tax man. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming this is long-term capital gains, so you'll pay probably about 20%. Right. Uh, do you have a good yeah. uh, a tax person that you work with? Um, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, because yeah. W- what you want to be careful of, I mean, you, you don't want to put yourself into the high tax brackets by selling too much. You want to have a balance here because, again, you, you, you don't want to dump everything right away if it's going to cause you major tax problems. Um, because again, I, I don't see Apple, you know, being cut in half. I, I suppose it's a possibility, but you want to have a plan of saying, okay, let me kind of unload, <clears throat> unload Apple over the next maybe two, three years. And this depends on how much you have, what the taxes are going to be. Um, you know, again, the problem too in the state of California. I assume you're in California. Yeah, you're, you're in Oceanside. I mean, the state yeah. of California does not have capital gains tax, so it could put you in the 13.3% tax bracket on top of the 20% there. So you want to try to have an exit strategy, but if you have a big portion of this in your portfolio, I have a hard time saying dump everything. Yeah, and, and the other thing too is, I mean, you're looking at the high end at 20%. I mean, sometimes depending on your income, it could be zero or 15%. So I, you got to look at kind of the numbers for your situation. Uh, I know in the past we have had clients where we've been able to kind of work with it to, to yeah. pay very, very little tax. But the other thing that I look at is, is on companies like this, yeah, it sucks to pay 20% tax, I'll say that at the higher end. But it doesn't necessarily mean your break even is a 20% decline yeah. in the stock because the 20% tax is on the gain of the company. So maybe the break even's a, right. a 10, 12% loss, which very well could be a, a possibility with Apple. So I, I think it would need to be some type of a, a, a targeted plan for you there uh, to kind of reduce those holdings maybe over the next year, two years, three years. But uh, I definitely yeah. think reducing the holdings is, is not a bad decision, and especially it's a comparative as well. I, I think there's a lot of companies that will outperform Apple. So, yeah, maybe you pay the tax on it, but you buy something else, right. and you do better in terms of your overall portfolio growth. Yeah, what you can exactly. do, and that, yeah. that, that we do when we look at uh, situations for clients, like, okay, so if you pay the tax there, and I'm just throwing out numbers, they're not real numbers, uh, the stock's at 160 uh, because as Chase said, it's not you don't pay tax on the full amount because you have the cost basis. So my break right. even on the tax versus the stock would be if the stock fell below 140, then I was better off paying the tax than holding onto the stock. So you want to kind of know that number as well because then that makes you feel better because again, you're not going to pay tax on the whole amount, but what is the break even tax versus the loss in the stock? So look at that and yeah. then make the decision. All righty? 
I think a, a gradual uh, reduction over a period of time is probably the best uh, way to look at this. Yeah, yep, so, yep, yep. And, you're you're and right. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks Thank for you. calling there, Don. Right. Bye-bye. Bye. I, I just got to say, I'm, I'm shocked here. I haven't looked at Apple's fundamentals here in a while. I mean, I looked at their future earnings the other day. Obviously, that's how I knew the 25 times. But uh, their dividend yield now is point. Six percent. Ooh, wow! And I know they just increased it, but I did not yeah. enough. I think even to get over one percent. So that's just another way to look at this company. It's very, very expensive. Yeah. Not that the dividend yield always tells you the the valuation of a company, but point six percent. You're not getting much on that. I remember back when we held it. I, I think we were getting like a two, maybe two and a half percent dividend. Yeah. So they've not kept pace with the increase in the yield. Uh, unfortunately, the dividend payout ratio was fourteen point two. Uh, they do buy back a lot of stock, but it would been kind of nice because then if the stock falls back, gosh, you get a great yield. But now if the stock falls back, we'll say to, you know, 125, 130, eh, might be about a 1% dividend. So not attractive for value investors there yet either. Yeah, and I, I think they're buying back $90 billion worth of stock. Yeah. Uh, still, again, doesn't really move the needle when you're, uh, let's see, a $2.5 trillion company. And yeah. also, too, it's I wouldn't be buying back stock at over 25 times earnings. Yeah. Well, and, and that's why maybe this would be a better time to increase the dividend as opposed to buy back stock at such an expensive price. And I cannot count the number of companies over my 40 years of doing this where I see them buying back stock at these outrageous levels. Like, why are you guys doing that? To, to just bump the stock price? It's not a good long-term thing because then, you know, 10 years later, you, you've got stock that you paid for that's still not back at that price. Yeah. So buying stock at high prices, we like buying back stock but not at high prices. Just makes no sense. All right, I, I want to go to Richard for, because he wants to talk about Google, but we're going to have to have uh, Richard, if you can hold with us uh, for a few minutes here. I do want to talk to our financial planner, Harrison Johnson. Uh, he's our CFP at Wilsey Asset Management. Good morning, Harrison. How are you doing this morning? Good morning, guys. I'm doing well. Well, I always know what you're talking about. I have no idea what the Augusta <laughs> rule is, so I'm very excited <laughs> to hear this. What, what do you got here for us? So the Augusta rule, um, it is after IRS section 280A, and basically what that IRS section code says is if you're a homeowner, you can rent out a home for up to 14 days per year, and you don't have to report that income, or you don't have to report that rent. So it's basically tax-free for up to 14 days. Um, It's called the Augusta rule because it's named after Augusta, Georgia, which is where the Masters golf tournament is. And oh. so it's a large golf tournament. Um, when it's going on, a lot of people travel into Augusta to watch the tournament. And so um, residents rent out their homes to people who are who are staying in town. So that's kind of where it came from. But as far as how we can use this now, if you are a business owner, so if you have an S-Corp or a C-Corp or a partnership, basically anything other than a sole proprietorship, What this means is you can rent out your home for business purposes, and that way it's a business expense, but if you do it for 14 days or less, you don't have to pick up that um, income you're paying to your personal side uh, and actually pay taxes on it. So basically what you can do here is you can kind of shift some of your profit that would be taxable on the business side your personal side and then that way it's tax-free so it's kind of like a non-cash expense because you still get the write-off but you're not actually parting with any cash it's just going from the business to the personal side so what this might mean is you know if you have a a monthly board meeting or client appreciation meetings or employee appreciation meetings or whatever as long as you can 
say that this is a business purpose, um, you can rent out your house at the fair market value and uh, and kind of get yourself some tax savings there. So, for example, if you if you rent out your house to your business for $500 a night and you do that for 14 nights throughout the year, that's a $7,000 expense that isn't really expense because you're you're paying yourself, so to speak, but you're still getting the tax benefit for it. And here's, I'm thinking, how can we use this as a suggestion for people? What I'm thinking is like, okay, you got a, a two-week vacation planned in Maui in, in August, uh, the first two weeks of August. So what you do is go on your vacation and rent out your house for that two weeks, get tax-free money for the rent on your house to help pay for your vacation. Could you do that? Well, you could do that as well, as long as you're a homeowner. But, um, you know, there's some people that aren't necessarily comfortable with renting out their personal house. So mm-hmm. it's more common for business owners to do it. Um, so, you know, it's like, okay, well, once a month on the fifth of every month, we're going to have a meeting at my house instead of the business. And that way we're, we're renting out the house for the business use of that. And so then you're you get an invoice on the business side, which is an expense, and then your business pays your yourself, your personal side. So it, again, it, it's tax-free money, basically. It's kind of like depreciation and non-cash expense. So, so you're you're looking more from the business owner side that that's what a business owner could do, uh, in addition to the idea I have, which I I, I know I would not want to rent yeah. my house to somebody, <laughs> but I, some people do. They do the B and Bs and stuff. Yeah, Airbnb. Airbnb. Um, but this is another angle that people can do. And again, this is what a financial planner does. It comes up with different ideas rather than say, oh, we'll buy ABC fund. Is there, do you know the answer to this, Harrison? Is there a, like, how, how do you determine the, the value of that? Obviously, you yeah. can't be like, oh, my house is worth $5,000 a night. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, one way you could look at doing it is uh, go on like Airbnb and see what similar houses are being rented out for. And that's probably a, a good way of kind of coming up with a number. Yeah, you can't say, well, you have $20,000 a night or something, but you know, if there's houses around that have similar square footage and similar um, bed and bath and, and sizes and, you know, they're they're going for $500 a night, then that's probably something that you can reasonably use. So, like, for Brent, for you, I know you don't have a house right now, but you'll probably buy a house at some point. So that means if we start doing meetings um, at your house once a month, then you can treat that as a business expense, deduct it on your taxes, and then not have to pay it on the personal side. So it's just, it re- just reduces tax liability. And, and just to let people know, I'm not homeless. I don't live on the street. <laughs> I do rental. <laughs> but, um, but you can't do it for a rental though, can you? No, it, you have to be a homeowner. And uh, according to the IRS section, two, 280A. All right. So if I get a good deal on the home and my, was, my plan was like a five-year plan, that I think there'll be a great time to buy a home over that five-year period, then I would maybe do that. But I gotta, I gotta sit, tell people I love renting. It just has really made my life so much easier. I don't worry about fixing things. I don't worry about the pool maintenance. I don't worry about the landscape. Uh, I, sometimes I wonder if I'll ever buy a house again. I think I will if I buy, get a good deal, but I'll never overpay. <laughs> so. Alrighty, well. <laughs> I yep. guess I left everyone speechless there. <laughs> Well, Harrison, thank you very much for calling in. Uh, We'll see you on Monday, and uh, you have a great Saturday there. Thanks, guys. We'll see you Monday. (laughs) Okay, bye-bye. All right, that is uh, Harrison Johnson. Again, he is our CFP, our financial planner at Wilsey Asset Management. If you want to have a free consultation with him, talk about your situation. Again, he covers the estate taxes. He covers the taxes, planning, all these important things to really get your financial life in order. Uh, You can give him a call at the office, 858 
858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. Or you can uh, visit them on the website. Just go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. All right, the phone number is here. You want to get through for that unbiased, no strings attached, firm opinion about what you want to talk about. The number here is 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. As promised, let's go out to San Diego and speak with Richard. Richard, you're on the Smart Invest Show. Brent Chase, how can we help you out? Hey guys, thanks for taking my call. I'm um, taking a look at Google here, and I see a price to earnings growth below one. Um, and I take a look at their profit margins and everything. It looks pretty attractive to me here. Just wanted to get your guys' opinion. Sure, let's go over all the numbers for Google. I'm glad you called in about this because I was kind of curious myself with a pullback. Where do we stand now on on Google or Alphabet? Uh, they're as simple as G O O G L. Uh, we do see they're in the internet content and information business. Uh, float very low still, zero point seven percent. Institutional ownership, highs expected, 80.1. Uh, we do see a P-E ratio now of 20.7. That still is above the industry at 17.5. Price to sales, 5.7 versus 5.1. Uh, price to tangible book value, 6.5. That is more expensive than the industry of 4.8. And price to cash flow looks okay, 14.8 versus 16.7. Now, they do have a peg ratio of 1.2 about the same as the energy at 1.1, but 1.2 is a very good peg ratio. Uh, their earnings over the last year, well, they are up 47.3%. That sounds very good, but the industry is up 81.9%. So I'm kind of surprised that Google is less than that. Uh, sales for Google up 37.4, also a good number, but the industry was up 51.4. The five-year estimated growth rate from the analysts uh, they give on the earnings is 17.1, above the industry at 13.3. Uh, I thought Google paid a dividend. I guess they do not. I must have been confused. They do not pay a dividend. Uh, the balance sheet, uh, current ratio, very positive, 2.9 versus 2.8. Debt equity, very good, 0.1 versus 0.2. Net profit margin checks in at 27.6, slightly above the industry at 27.4. And return equity, 29.4. That is exactly the same as what the industry return on equity is. Chase? It is interesting to... Google, Alphabet, whatever you want to call it there. Yeah, they, we're going to call them Google. Google, yeah, they, they have still the, the voting shares and non-voting shares. Yeah. I'm always still kind of surprised by that. They're, they're one of the only, like, major companies, I would say, and one of the big tech companies. And right. there's, like, super voting shares and stuff with other businesses like Facebook, Meta. But I, I'm still <laughs> surprised that they have that. So I don't know if you want to look at that closer. If the, the voting and non-voting shares right. are trading in parity, the same kind of valuations, you always want to kind of buy the voting shares, in my opinion. So uh, just... Make sure you know what you're buying there between G-O-O-G-L and right. G-O-O-G. I believe the G-O-O-G-L actually has the voting rights. Yeah. But uh, looking at the numbers here for Google, current price for, I'm going to look at G-O-O-G-L, $2,282.19. Look at this 52-week high here now, $3,030.93. And that high did occur on February 2nd of this year, so it did occur in 2022. 52-week low, though, for the business, $2,193.62. See that year-to-date return down now, 21.2%. Obviously, this company's still done tremendously over the last 10 years, up 641.5%, so it's still seen great growth. I think a uh, great business here. Very curious to see what's going on going forward. Uh, looking at those numbers for December 2023, I see estimated earnings per share of $133.76. That would give us a target sell price of 2000 
$220.42. So not quite at that level yet. I'm very intrigued if there is still going to be that volatility. This is kind of one in particular that, that I'd be interested in scooping up if, if the prices were right. And especially, I talk about Apple's slow growth. Right. It looks like Google, Alphabet, they still have pretty darn good growth. I mean, this year they're looking for sales growth around 16%. Next year, about 15.5%. The following year, around 13.7%. So you're still in that double-digit range. I mean, that if you could get this business at, at around 13 times future earnings and you can get that type of growth, that's a that's an awesome opportunity, I think. Did you say they hit 3,030 February this year? Yeah. Do you know if that's, we probably don't know, but we can check into it. If that's when they announced, because I think they're doing a 20 for one stock oh, split. Yeah. And I wonder if that's about the time frame. And, and I'll be talking about stock splits tomorrow in my segment on KSI around 840, because this is why we, people go, oh yeah, it's gonna split the stock. Well, if that is the case, that's a fall of what, well over 20%. So, you know, again, I'll talk more on KSI tomorrow about it, but I always tell people, be careful mm. stock splits. They announced it April in April. Oh, in April. April. Okay, so like. oh, wait, no, no, no. Um, I got a good yeah. conflicting date here. I see one now that's uh, February 1st. It looks like the first article. February 1st, Alphabet announces 20 for one stock split yeah. on CNBC. And uh, actually, uh, Richard, uh, you know, we like the company. I think it's a great company. I would love to own this company, but I, I think it's worthwhile to be patient uh, to try to get it at a good price. And, and uh, I, I, I'm hoping there's more to fall so we can pick, the, pick up a company like this. But right now, I can't recommend buy for it. All righty? Yeah, I appreciate that. Thanks. Okay, Richard. Thanks for calling. Have a good one. Bye-bye. You know, Chase, I was thinking one thing here, too, before we go to the callers. You know, I like the old school. I, I, I don't want to call Alphabet Google. I don't want to call Facebook Meta. I don't want to want to go to Starbucks. I want to ask for a small, medium, or large. I did that the other day. Yeah, because you go in and I say, hey, can I have a large? They accept it. Uh, no, I asked, what's a medium? He's like, well, you know, most of the time people think a medium's like a grande. <laughs> and I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we don't go to, to, to Starbucks all the time, but it's just like, I, I've done it, I think, twice now. And I just walked in and I said, can I get a medium? And they just... Give me, I think, a medium. <laughs> I, it could be a large, I don't know. But it's like, I don't want to play these word games on, on stuff. And like, why did Facebook, I, I don't know why they're changing the names, but just like, you stay with that good name. And, and I do not, I've been doing this for 40 years, I do not remember companies changing their names at the pace that it seems to be happening now with some of these companies. You know, I yeah. I, I don't know. And yeah. uh, th that is one thing I would say with Google, though. I, while I think it could be an intriguing business if the numbers are right, there's so many other things with Google that you got to look into. Like they have the Waymo. They have all these right. other kind of divisions of the business outside of just advertising. So you, you got to spend a lot of time understanding this company because there's a lot to the, the company like this. Yeah. All right. I uh, got to back, get back to the phone. So I got a lot of callers there. Uh, let's see. Let's go out to San Diego and speak with Anthony. Anthony, you're on the Smart Vegetable Brent Chase. How can we help you? Hi, thanks for taking my call. I was looking at Viasat and noticed it went down 25% in the past month. So I'm wondering what you guys think of. Okay, and, and do you hold that? Or are you looking to buy it? Oh, I don't. I'm just looking to buy it. Okay, yeah, and Viasat's a company I, I've, I've known for years, and I thought that was a very interesting company, but they got kind of pricey. So maybe now will be a good time to. Uh, get into the company. Uh, coming again is Viasat, symbol is V-S-A-T. 
T. Uh, they are in the industry of communication equipment, uh, kind of a high on the, the uh, float here on the, on the, the uh, short, 8.6%, uh, institutional ownership, 84.5%. The PE ratio is still very expensive. It's over 100 versus 17.8 for the industry. Price to sales, 1 versus 1.9. That's positive, along with price to tangible book value is 1.4, nothing for the industry. And then price to cash flow, 4.9 versus 11.6 but not a good peg ratio. And I usually don't see this. A peg ratio against your PE divided by growth tells you how much you're paying for the future growth. Uh, for Viasat, it's 12 versus 3.4. That is not a good indication of, of what you're paying for the future growth. We do see over the last year, earnings did climb by 400% versus 29.9. I think that's something to do with accounting. I don't believe they grew their real earnings by 400%. Sales over the last year are up 18.9% versus 7.6%. They do not pay a dividend. Taking a look at the balance sheet, current ratio 1.3 versus 1.7. I'm okay with that. Okay with the debt to equity one, same as the industry. Net profit margin, not so good here, 0.8% versus 10.8. And return on equity, same number, 0.8 versus 28. So I'm not too thrilled what I'm seeing here. Uh, Chase, what's the units like going forward? Yeah, I, I was kind of interested in a couple different numbers here as well. And, and one thing is the numbers are all over the place for their income. I mean, you talk about that growth. Their net income last year was $21 million, it appears to be. The year before that, in 2020, negative $2 million. 2019, $1 million. 2018, negative $90 million. So their, their earnings are just so variable, which is always kind of hard to evaluate a business like that. Uh, that that's a concern I would have if I, I bought a business. All of a sudden, it's like, oh, things are great. The PE looks great. And then all of a sudden, oh, they have a negative $90 million uh, income in the following year. Yeah. And I think it's because that they have like satellite launches and stuff. So they have these big ramp ups in terms of producing this stuff, but just something you got to be cautious of. Look at the numbers here though. Current price for Vice at $36.81, 52-week high $68.76. So taking a major hit there. 52-week low $36.20. Year-to-date return down 17.4%. And I'm shocked by this. Five-year return down 42.5%. 10-year return a Ooh. negative 23.4% Viasat has not been a good place to put your money for the last decade. Decent side business here, though, $2.7 billion. Now, if I go forward to March 2023, so the report on a fiscal year here, I see estimated earnings per share of $1.45. That would give us a target sell price of $24.07. I, I just I can't wrap my arm around yeah. these numbers here. I, I, I don't think I could recommend a buy on buy side even at these levels. Yeah, I'm kind of disappointed. I, I was expecting better things, but maybe, you know, Elon Musk and uh, Virgin Atlantica, whatever these, these companies are, maybe they're giving them problems because now they're doing satellites. I, I, I don't know, but the earnings are not very good. They got competition now, it appears to be in this industry. So not good numbers. So I, I would... Unfortunately, you say, no, it's a sell, not a buy. And I see a couple other issues here, too. I mean, they have high stock-based compensation. Ooh. They also have a high share dilution. So right. they have a lot of different convertible securities out there that could be converted to shares down the road, which would impact current shareholders even more. So there's a lot of accounting things on Biaset that, that I'd be very cautious on as well. Yeah, I believe it's a San Diego-based company. So I, I believe so. Yeah, sorry to say, uh, 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 Anthony, we're, we're going to say this is a sell. I would not not even look at buying this company. All righty. All right, great. Thanks for looking at it. All right, have a good one. Bye-bye. Yeah, Carlsbad, California. Yep, Carlsbad. Oh, and he's in Carlsbad. I think he was from, was he? No, he's from San Diego. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We. Uh, I'm looking at, gosh, I'm kind of babbling. I think we come off air, what, uh, three minutes? Yeah, I don't think we should take another, another call. What do you think? I don't know. 
Yeah, let's maybe just do an email since we can yeah, roll through that really quickly. Yeah, let's do that. We've got this request. I got to do this one. But we've got this request on Dole for like three, four times. I, I said, well, send me an email so I won't forget. I can't, I remembered, so let's go ahead and do Dole, uh, which is the, I call him the pineapple maker. See if it's a sweet deal. Yeah, oh, that was a good one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's pull up the numbers here on Dole. This comes out of, uh, well, again, it was on my, I, I think it came through Will's Asset Management uh, social media. And so I, I, I always tell people, well, email me, because it's much easier than try to remember uh, for the show. But we got it here. Here's Dole. They're in the farm products industry. Their symbol is D-O-L-E, same as the company. 2% shares float uh, on the short side. Institutional ownership, 42%. No P-E ratio tells me no earnings will last 12 months versus 14.4. Price to sales, 0.1 versus 0.6. Price to book value, 5.6 versus 13.3. <clears throat> Price to cash flow, very expensive, 52.4 versus 19. Good pay, pay ratio, though, 1.2 versus 7.1. Now, I see no earnings for the past year, five years, no sales. I'm wondering, they just report earnings? Maybe it doesn't look like it. <clears throat> Next report date is May 24th, so I don't know why we have nothing here on earnings or sales. Uh, they do pay a 2.7% dividend. Uh, no payout ratio because we don't seem to have those numbers. Like we're missing some data here. Uh, current ratio 1.2 versus 2.1. That's okay. Debt equity high 1.6 versus 0.7. I don't like above <clears throat> 1.2. And then net profit margin negative 0.1 versus 4.3. Return equity a negative seven versus 14.17. I don't like what I'm seeing. Can you change my mind here, Chase? Current price for Dole $11.91. 52 week high $17.66. The low 11.56. Reason there's not many numbers, they IPO'd last year, so there's not even a one year return just yet. Ah, so that's why the numbers look a little strange. But year to date, they're down 10%. Now, I'll tell you, going forward, December 2023, estimated earnings per share $1.63. That's a positive. Gives us a target sell price at $27.06. I mean, the valuation looks very strong on this business. A little concerned about the debt. I also am quite cautious of companies that, that don't have that full year data just yet. That, yeah. That's always a turnoff to me because there's so many other companies you can buy with, with better data, I would say. And I'm not sure, but I think this was public, went private, <clears throat> and now it's come back out again. So... Um, I do wonder. I'm not a pineapple farmer, so I don't know how you grow pineapples. <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I, I know that a lot of the the farm products are, are so expensive right now. I'm wondering how yeah. that's impacting their business. Maybe you don't use manure and stuff like that. But I, <laughs> it's something to, to to know about if you did decide to invest in this company. Is how do you farm pineapples? <laughs> and I think it's not just pineapples. I think it's also bananas and stuff yeah, as well. I think and you're and right, you yeah. always see down on the on the bay, you always see that dole ship there, yeah. and it never seems to move. It just seems to sit there the whole time. Maybe maybe it moved during the week. I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I like the business concept. Obviously, we like food companies like this. I, I, but I, I just, I, I wouldn't be ready yet. Maybe a couple quarters from now once we yeah. have full year data. But, uh, you know, kind of see too if they're paying down debt. If they're paying down debt, that, that could be a, a could be a great business. It's a business yeah. that we like to own. But uh, we'll see what happens with Dole. Yeah. I like the, I like the company. Don't like the numbers. Yep. Well, there's the closing bell. Thank you for listening to Smart Investing Show. It is for informational purpose only and should not be used as investment advice. If you'd like to discuss in more detail your investment needs, have other investment questions, feel free to call myself Brent Wilsey or Chase Wilsey at 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. Or visit our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. And for more daily educational information and investment tips, 
go to our Facebook page, Smart Investing with Brent and Chase Wilsey. Have a great day. We'll talk more next week right here on the Smart Investing Show. So amusing to think that I did all that.